When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. Caller has questions. Blue 58! Blue 58! Go! And he wants your answers. Three! Red, red, red! Red Polly! Blue Poncho! In rapid fire fashion. Gun flex right stack. 394 Dragon Smoke. It's Hot Routes on Purple Daily. 580! 397! All right, we are back, and it is that time again. We do it every single day. It is Hot Routes where I look through the day's headlines and then. Ask questions to my co-hosts, and today those co-hosts are Eric Eager for Pro Football Focus, and for the next twenty to twenty-five minutes or longer, Judd Zelgad <laughs> in for hot rounds. Depending on how long it goes, depending on how long it goes. Uh, how are you, Judd? I'm fantastic, good, good. boys. I am very excited because, as you know, I love hot routes. All right, ramp it up, Jonathan. We're ready to go. I didn't come up with a theme for hot routes. Maybe it should just be uh, journeyman quarterbacks. Dude. The, the best kind of quarterback. <laughs> All right. Our first hot route then. Gus Farratt, 42. Friend of the show, by the way. Gus Farratt, 42. Here we go. All right. Uh, cra- crazy stat, guys. Frank Gore this season could reach third all-time in carries and third all-time in rushing yards. Frank Gore getting into the ballpark of Walter Payton and Emmett Smith. Okay? So, obviously, Frank Gore is not... Walter Payton or Emmett Smith, but he's just played for a really super long time and been pretty good. So I want you guys to give me your favorite volume stats player, a guy who is pretty good, but ends up with records and amazing cumulative stats because he just played for freaking ever. <laughs> Let's start it out, Eric, with you. Uh, I There was a lot of good ones. Um, this one... I think will trigger Vikings fans, but the the player who is twelfth all time in all purpose yards, right behind Barry Sanders and right in front of Marcus Allen, is none other than Herschel Walker. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Is he? Uh, I don't know this. Is he in the Hall of Fame or not? No, 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 no. he's not. Okay, he, I mean because he, he didn't not, even come does, close. Does no, not no. deserve that at all. He, he had but like he a really season, played for a long time. He 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 had a season where he like caught like eighty passes for the Eagles yeah. long after the Vikings, and then there was one year with the Vikings where he was terrible as a runner, but they ran him back on kickoffs. So he like That's led right. the league in all-purpose yards. 
But then, yeah, he was an interesting cat for real. He was he was running down as a gunner on punts and stuff. He was a strange. He dude. was the ten thousand push-ups, right? Absolutely. Was that, that Herschel Walker? Yep. In fact, his first return here was a game after he got traded from Dallas against the Packers, in which he lost his shoe on a <laughs> kickoff return. And and can you guys tell me where Herschel Walker began his professional football career with what team? I uh, I am the proud owner of a New Jersey Generals jersey. Where he worked for none other than Donald Trump. Donald yeah. Trump, President of the United <laughs> yeah. States. Yeah. All right. And moving on quickly. Uh, <laughs> yeah, six five one six four six eight two five five. Your thoughts? Uh, I, I'm going to uh, stick with the Vikings, and I'm going to go with a player who became beloved here defensively. But he, I believe, because you're not talking about like bad players. Yeah, they good, stick around, and to stick around for that long, they're good players, but they're definitely not um, Pro Football Hall of Fame players. I'm going to give you a guy that played 14 years here, Scott Studwell. Oh, yeah. Scott Studwell retired as the Vikings' all-time leading tackler at that time with 1,981 in his career. He holds the team records for single-season tackles, had 230 in 81, and 24 in a game against Detroit in 85. Definitely not a, a Hall of Fame linebacker, but he played 14 years, and because of that, he accumulated some enormous statistics. Remember when a linebacker could get 20 tackles in a game? <laughs> Just, Look up. Just slamming into fullbacks. Studwell was sort of hilarious at the end there because they would like start him and play him a series and then just put like Ray Berry or whatever his name was in the game. Like he was, he certainly cared about the like the start streak and all that stuff. Absolutely. Look up the name of a guy that played middle linebacker, Matthew Collar, for the Vikings and actually put up enormous statistics, and he was no good. Jeff Brady. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I remember Jeff Brady. Jeff yeah. Brady put up, people were like, this is great. All these tackles he's got. It's like, he's really not that he good. He was just like a block of meat, if yes. I remember. The ball, was there Jeff was like Brady. a few balls that would just like go off random people's helmets and need to get an interception or two like early <laughs> in the year, and then we just anchored on him. And he was like, he's great. He's, you know, he's this next great linebacker. And then really, he's, yeah. What do you got, Jonathan? I'm going to go with another guy who might trigger the Vikings. Uh, Kerry Collins. He currently sits 18th in all-time passing yards because he played 16 years. Wow. 40,922 passing yards. Sits ahead of Joe Montana. Joe Montana. So (laughs) I, I went exactly the same direction, Jonathan. And the reason that I thought of this question was to bring up Vinny Testaverde. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Vinny Testaverde is 14th all time in passing yards, <laughs> ahead of Montana, ahead of Unitas, Steve ahead Young. of Jim Kelly, ahead of Steve Young. It's, I mean, it's, it's so classic. Way ahead of Troy Aikman in total passing yards and uh, was never really good at all. In fact, he's kind of like one of the biggest busts ever yeah. right he was he was pretty bad i think he had like 35 interceptions one year for tampa bay so <laughs> it, this but interestingly i have years. i have this one in my notes too but like underneath underneath vinnie testaverde eli manning is seventh all-time in passing yards that's crazy that's that, crazy if he didn't have the two super bowls right, he would probably be like wow that's that's the one yeah. but you get the two super bowls so all right our next uh hot route and uh, the journeyman quarterbacks are, I mean, really use, no, I won't use Testaverde. I'll use um, Neil O'Donnell, 33. <laughs> Neil O'Donnell, 33. Uh, all right. In a radio interview, fellas, <laughs> speaking of journeyman quarterbacks, Ryan Fitzpatrick said that there has been, quote, a lot of shade and disrespect thrown his way <laughs> over his career. Now, I, I will say this, that having been in the city with him having his Fitz magic and then his yeah, Fitz, yeah. Fitz tragic, um, 
he, yeah, I guess he was disrespected quite a bit, but, you know, all right. Shade and disrespect for Ryan Fitzpatrick, the life of a journeyman where they will never get the respect they deserve. I want you guys to give me a quarterback who actually had undue shade and disrespect. Because I think for Fitzpatrick, we can all agree he had a couple. Do you think he <laughs> truly believes that? As he's talking, do you really think, oh man, I've been. I get really, really hot for three weeks and then I stink, but man, there's been a lot of disrespect directed towards me. You know what's interesting about Ryan Fitzpatrick is he is an extremely self aware guy. Yeah. I mean, to the point where he would wear Deshaun Jackson stuff at yeah, a press funny. conference and things like that. Yep. He's got a great sense of humor. He is incredibly competitive, though. I mean, he, he, you would be really surprised. Like, he's a super, super competitive person. I don't think you're a seventh round pick from Harvard who ends up with this kind of career if you're not. So he might believe that. Yeah, but if you're one of the few quarterbacks that was able to throw an interception to Fred Smoot when he was playing for the Vikings. <laughs> I remember when Fitz was a rookie out of like Harvard, he played for the Rams and he threw like seven picks. I was at this game. And it was just like, if you're going to get picked off by Fred Smoot, I just, you're, you have everything coming to you, I think. All right, a quarterback, guys, who got too much shade and disrespect. You want to go first, Judd? Sure, I will. I'm going to go back to an era long before you guys were born, but this is a guy who started his career out of Stanford with the, with the Patriots, awful at the time, and he took tons of heat. But he played 15 years with three teams, won two Super Bowls, and is the only eligible quarterback to win two Super Bowls as a starter and not be inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame, Jim Plunkett. Mm. Jim Plunkett is a played on some awful teams. And and basically in, in an era where if you played on awful teams, you threw a ton of picks. And people said, you stink. And he took the Raiders to two Super Bowls. And people still to this day do not think Jim Plunkett was all that good. Well, that's a pretty good one. I well, I think don't you think it was the Stabler thing, right? Stabler coming in and being better than him type of thing was sure. Well, but like you go back to Bradshaw's rookie year in Pittsburgh. Terry Bradshaw's picks were off the charts. Joe Namath has like forty. Ex- yeah, it's exactly, the same thing, yeah. exactly. But Plunkett was a guy that fans in Boston turned on, and they thought he stunk. And actually, ultimately, I'm not saying he was great, but he was. He probably was cast more shade than was fair given his capabilities and what he ended up doing. It's one of my favorite things when I watch old games is the horrendous <laughs> interceptions that you would just, like, they would just make fun of you nonstop yeah. if you threw these picks now. I mean, it'd be like the Nathan And Peterman look at the thing. throws, too, though. Yeah. The, the throws are, are like, okay, here comes pressure. I'll just throw it. You can't <laughs> throw the ball it. away over the middle of the field anymore. <laughs> exactly. like the way they used to. It's like, I'll just throw it deep and something good is going to, oh, it got picked off again. I think my quarterback here is going to be a uh, guy that played in the USFL um, and then played for the Saints and then the Falcons is Bobby Bear. Oh, yeah. So the Saints were... So, first of all, he, have, he won a championship, I think, with like the Detroit team or the Michigan team in the USFL. Then he went to the Saints and the Saints had didn't have a winning season until 1987. He went 49-26 and 26 as a starter for the Saints. He held out in, in 1990 because he wanted a contract that paid him like $2 million. So they, so they basically said, no, we're going to trade for St. Paul native Steve Walsh. A one, two, and three. The next season, they st- the next season he comes back, you know, tail between his legs, start him at fourth string. He takes the Saints to their first ever division title in 91. Um, then they replace him with former Viking Wade Wilson after that. He goes to Atlanta, makes a Pro Bowl, and Atlanta replaces him with Jeff George. So he was just right. kind of the guy that was always, every team thought that they could do better than him. And he wasn't great by any stretch of the imagination, but 
uh, you know, 40, you know, the Vikings surely would take 49 and 26 as a starter. I'm concerned that Jonathan is going to use mine. Who do you have, Jonathan? I you have a quarterback who got too much disrespect. I have Matt Ryan here. He gets okay. a lot of crap for the Super Bowl loss. Sure. And he doesn't get a whole lot of praise for what he's done in the regular season. It's only taken him 10 years to get up to 12th in the all time passing yardage standings. Mm-hmm. I think he deserves a lot more respect than he gets right now. I will agree with that. And he didn't play defense in that Super Bowl. Yep. He didn't call the play to not run the football right. that gave the Patriots uh, the opening there. He should have won the Super Bowl. He did enough mm-hmm. for his job to win the Super You're Bowl. You're not up and- by 28 to 3 for for no reason. I mean, right. And Eli Manning probably didn't play as good as Matt Ryan did in that Super Bowl in the ones where he got to be the MVP. So I, that's a good pick. I was concerned because of the Vikings connection that you were going to pick this guy that is my selection, Randall Cunningham. Oh, that's a good one. Mm-hmm. In his time in Philadelphia, Randall Cunningham <laughs> did nothing but win and was one of the most exciting football players that has ever stepped on a field. And what did he get from his coaches and from fans was... Oh, this guy can't win in the playoffs, and he's just a runner and not a thrower, and all and all these things about he just wasn't good enough, wasn't good enough, wasn't good enough for Philly, even though he would make the Pro Bowl and he was exciting. And when you look at what he did in Philly, he went 63-43-1. and one. Yeah. That's a hell of a lot of winning for a guy who was talked about as being just not good enough Rich, all the time. Rich Kotite once benched him for Bubby Brister. <laughs> 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 but that was Rich Kotite, yeah. and so I understand why he did because he was Rich Kotite. Yeah, yeah. And my, my backup pick, in case Jonathan picked Randall Cunningham, was Cam Newton. I, I think that um, for a guy who won the NFL MVP and has shown on many occasions that he also can win a lot more than he's going to lose, Cam Newton, everything he does under the microscope all the time, it seems, um, which many quarterbacks are, but I feel like a lot, a lot of over-criticisms for him. And when somebody scores... 50 rushing touchdowns, don't look at their quarterback rating, okay? Because he ran in all those touchdowns instead of passing them. I went to the trouble once of adding up all of his rushing touchdowns and making them all five-yard passes to see what his rating would be, and it was like a 95 instead of an 80-something. So anyway, that aside... Randall Cunningham and uh, Cam Newton. You asked me earlier about Josh Josh Allen. I mean, Cam Newton is the ceiling for Josh Allen as a player. You know, low completion percentage, mm-hmm. good runner, down the field type guy. I don't see it, but that's really like if you're looking for the comp. Best, very, very best case yeah. situation. All right, uh, our next hot route with uh, journeyman quarterbacks. I'll go uh, Eric Kramer, 13. Eric Kramer, 13. They should do this. Why don't they do this? They mean something? Like Omaha means something. Yeah, absolutely. They should just pick Eric Kramer. random <laughs> Lion, bear, right? Like Chargers even. Part of a great trio with the Lions that made uh, the playoffs one year, right? Wasn't it Eric Kramer? Andre and Ware. Also Andre, played for the Ware, Vikings yes. for a short time. <laughs> All right. Um, the Giants, guys. They have been the off-season punching bag. Everyone has their Dave Gettleman jokes. Um they did actually acquire a really interesting player that we haven't talked about really at all in Jabril Peppers. So uh, he's expected to play even more snaps in New York than he did in Cleveland. And they said that they are going to keep Jabril Peppers uh, at the kick returner and punt returner role. So here's my question. Will we ever see a day when kick and punt returners matter again? Because they kind of don't now. And also, will there ever be a two-way player again like Deion Sanders? Eric, you want to go first? 
Yeah, I mean, I think Cordero Patterson certainly matters now. Um, and but he's a very singular point in that, like he's he's playing for teams that are you know he for example, the 2015 Vikings, he won a game for them by returning a kick. Last season for the Patriots, he won a game for them in Chicago by returning a kick. Like he's he's certainly somebody that matters. He changes the game a little bit. Other than that, though, I cannot think of another player at that position that really teams have to account for. But you're talking with Patterson. He's second all-time in kick return average to Gale Sayers. So he's a special player. I don't know if we're going to see that again. Um, I think on, on on average, probably no. For the for the two-way question, it's it's I, I would say probably not. But the thing about the league currently is you need six, seven, eight defensive backs on you know sub-package downs. And unless you're going to stock your roster with a bunch of defensive backs, you might start to see, as the Patriots have done with the Troy Browns and the Edelmans of the world, you might see some of them play uh, in sub-packages. But I, never see, I don't think you're ever going to see a guy who's a full-time shutdown corner mm-hmm. playing 500 snaps as a receiver as Dion <laughs> sure. did in, like, 96. Answer your first question in my mind is no. In fact, I think the kickoff is dead within five years. Yeah. I think it's gone. The, the league doesn't want it, and it keeps trying to basically say, Let's make it more boring. No, hold on a second. <laughs> this year it'll be even more boring. So I, I think the return game itself is dying. So no on your first question. I think the answer to your second question, as we continue to um, skew in the way of the Sean McVays and young coaches, is absolutely yes. I think positionless sports, so not just football, basketball, baseball, positionless um, players in sports are becoming more and more popular. So, yes, I think that some team is going to find the, the secret formula for, for the amount of snaps that won't get a player essentially killed. <laughs> but no, I think that you yeah. are going to, I think that you are going to see, and I, I don't even know if I can envision how it's going to work exactly, but there are people who are going to come along and say, you know, basketball now has guards playing forward and center. Yeah. And, and so I could definitely see a day where a corner, uh, is playing running back or something. So, my answer is yes, and I think it's going to be exciting, and I think it's going to change the way, probably, that eventually we think about uh, roster construction as well and the use of players within that construction. I'm going to go no on the returners. I just don't see it happening with the league trying to get rid of the kick return and the punt return. There's not a whole lot of guys out there that come to mind, like Eric said. Uh, it's amazing. You used to know all of them. Yeah. yeah. You, like Every team would have their specific guy, and you'd be like, man, that Glenn Milburn, big fan. Alan Rossum. Uh, <laughs> Rick Upchurch, man. As a kid, I loved him. The two-way players, I was originally going to answer no, but I think Judd just convinced me otherwise that, yeah, I think it will happen someday that there will be a, guy, a group of guys out there who just play both both offense and defense because some smart coach comes, out, comes around to figure out how to make it work. Yeah, I think to the point that Judd is making, in baseball, when you see the McKay kid from the Rays and Shohei Otani, Teams want to get the most value out of players, and it just use Jabril Peppers for an example. If you played him sixty percent of defensive stat snaps and twenty percent of offensive snaps, where he's a slot receiver or he runs a jet sweep or whatever exactly. else, if the guy's exciting with the ball in his hands, then he's exciting with the ball in his hands. I mean, even with Cordero Patterson last year being used as sometimes an outside wide receiver, sometimes a running back, I think we're going to see a lot more of that. I do think. That someday again, the pun and kick return will rise. That they'll figure out some sort of solution where people will return kicks again and matter. And if not on the kickoff returns, then the punt returners might start to matter if we get punters who continue to kick farther and farther. Yeah, yeah. Like we've seen some freakish punters yeah. who are kicking it farther and farther. So you might see better punt returners. 
The hard the hard part is is that offenses are getting better. So generally speaking, you're not kicking from your own twenty. Yeah, that's true. And so these kickers are so good at pinning people deep. I I never thought of punt returners almost because of like these kickers are just maestros at what right. they do. So it, it would be hard to see. But if offenses started to play worse, then you'd have more long kicks and you'd have more long returns. But I just don't see that. The interesting thing about receivers, to Judd's point about two way players, is back in the day, two way players, receivers like Carter Moss, they were playing every snap. Mm-hmm. Now teams play a right. lot of sub package. Like none of these receivers play every down. And so if you're if Thielen and Diggs are playing 650 snaps instead of a thousand then they're not going to get killed playing sub-packages on defense. Right. And the idea of a starter in the NFL is just so much different mm-hmm. when the nickels and dimes and those types of things where I do think it probably could be uh, you know, feasible to play a guy both ways. Here's the other thing, too. My entire life, sports have turned into my video games as a kid. Mm-hmm. So I used to try to hit a home run every time. That's all they do now. I never bunted. I only shot threes or dunked. I, right? Yeah. Why, and would, why wouldn't you? I, I never would, bunted. I would absolutely take the fastest cornerback and make him a wide receiver on every Madden. For sure. Yeah. So, all right. Our next one. Left witch. Red. Left witch. I saw this question over the weekend. I don't know who had it. Just some random ass Twitter account, but it's so great. Take. I want you guys to take based on your height and weight and tell me what NFL <laughs> position you would play. Not your actual physical shape, Judd. Yeah, no, just, I know, I know. Just height. Hey, weight, listen, a lot of beer consumed. Okay, and, and, last few and, days. And how does that? You don't have to tell me your height and weight, but just tell me what position. <laughs> I'd love to if I got a scale lately. All right. All right. Do you Judd, want me to go yeah, first? Of course I do. Okay. <laughs> it's obvious, right? Linebacker, because I'm I'm about I'm six feet. So if I played guard, I'd get absolutely destroyed. In today's game, the only position I could possibly play linebacker. And I'd get blown up and be bad. But, Cover linebacker, but yeah, specifically. Well, God help me. But I'm the perfect, <laughs> but I'm the right height. Yeah. And and now, if you took me back to 1975, I could probably play guard then, but I can't now. So, unfortunately, I am, I am playing one of the most disposable positions on the field now, <laughs> being replaced constantly by a cornerback or a safety. I am, uh, I am a weak side linebacker getting my butt kicked regularly. Uh, I'd probably I'm probably play H back or move tight end, <laughs> you know six three two thirty two forty yeah. yeah, that's probably what, that that's exactly what I played in college so it's sort of the same, <laughs> um, it, yeah I like like Judd said I'd be constantly replaced by younger faster players. But, <laughs> sort of, sort of, <laughs> hey Eager, get out of here! You're not in this package or that one. For me, just because my height, probably running back, it's the only position on really on the field right now. You can be short and get away with Would it. Would you be like C.J. Anderson, for example? Yeah, sure. We can go with that. <laughs> you're not. You're not quite Ironhead Hayward. But <laughs> no, no, he's not. Run and shoot, running back. Just bowling ball. <laughs> uh, Gary Brown came up on the show last week. He was one of those guys for uh, the Oilers. So I found a guy who is literally the exact same height and weight as me who's just perfect for this because now adam thielen like he and i look eye to eye he might be a half an inch taller than me and he's about the same weight but i don't want to use that because that's just not me the the guy who had the exact same height and weight is kellen moore like perfect backup quarterback who did not have the physical I knew skills. I knew he was right? going to make himself exactly. a backup quarterback. Exactly. Did not have the physical skills, not quite tall enough. At six foot one, you're not tall as a quarterback, but you're a great guy. You're great with the scout team. You put in all the effort. You love the game, and you the starting the, quarterback loves you. You have the classic me. lefty Tyler Palco like release, <laughs> which is just like fluttering right. ducks. You get, like if you are in. 
Your team is losing ninety-eight percent of the time. I knew that you would find a way to make yourself a backup QB collar. That that is your your problem. Is is that (laughs) that you'd be a locker room problem because you would talk way too much. No, no, no. Because the, the media would love you. Sean Salisbury. Yeah, exactly. I, yeah. Oh, that's right. Thank yeah. you, Eric. Yeah. Yeah. You'd be the guy that I would call at midnight on a Wednesday to, hey, I hear these guys aren't getting along. Oh, yeah, that's absolutely oh, no. true. I'm their source. This can't come from me. This can't come from me. <laughs> I'm the leak. Yes, you would be the leak. <laughs> I wanted to be the quality control coach right after no, my career. No, you'd be more like Steve Young being like, look, if you want to see somebody who wants to play, look at me. <laughs> the Hall of Fame Joe Montana's taking all the snaps. Right, you'd be a Tampa Bay. All right, final one. Bono, forty-three. Bono, Steve Bono. Bono. Steve Bono. Um, Bono played here for him. Last week when I was off, our friend Manny Hill asked a very good hot route question. He asked who the best Vikings offensive lineman currently is, and there's a debate to be had there. So this is a good discussion with him and Chad Graff. So here's my twist. I want you guys to give me the best three Minnesota Vikings right now. The best three players. On the Minnesota Vikings, you cannot pick any more than three. Yeah, I got three. Do you want me to go? Go ahead. In fact, I go one, two, three. So I rank them for you. Thanks, Jed. Daniil Hunter, number one. Athletic freak. Outstanding player. Harrison Smith, still two. Probably declining, but an incredibly smart player and still athletically gifted. And three, splitting hairs a little bit here, but I go Stefan Diggs. If you if you came to me and said Diggs or Thielen for a franchise and I could only take one, I'd probably take Diggs. So I go Hunter, Smith, and Diggs. Yeah, we're basically the same. I actually have Smith first, Hunter second, and then uh, apparently like this was an issue on Twitter today, but I would pay, t- take uh, Diggs ahead of Thielen just slightly. Mine's pretty close to your guys, except my all three of my guys are on defense. No particular order here. Linval Joseph, Harrison Smith, and Daniil Hunter. I think all three of those guys are so key to what they do on defense that it's you can't play without them. Linfall is an interesting pick because in 2017, he was as good as anybody on yeah. the defensive line in the whole league. Last year, a couple injuries, not, not quite the same, but if he's the 2017 version, he's definitely dominant. I actually had the, the twist. <laughs> well, here's the thing is that the twist was you... If you're picking three, you have to have Harrison Smith, who might be a Hall of Famer, and Daniil Hunter, who's one of the elites at his position. So then you can only pick one of Thielen yeah, and Diggs, yeah. which is kind of where this leads you to. And I wasn't sure if you guys were going to go there. But I also picked Stefan Diggs in the, by the very most like shred of a percentage You picked point him still. Come on. Over Adam Thielen. Yeah, no, for sure. I agree but with you. It's, it's only by the tiniest margin. I just think that... There's a distinction to be made between an outside wide receiver and a slot wide receiver and the things that they're asked to do and how good you have to be to succeed on the outside. And Diggs does all those things so spectacularly well. The route running, the contested catches, facing the best cornerbacks that the other team has. I often look at that. Like, who are they putting their number one guy against? And Patrick Peterson goes up against Diggs. So I, I would give the very, very slight edge there, but both amazing talents. If this was asked a year ago at this time, I think it'd be a lot harder, right? Because you'd have to put Rhodes and Joseph right. in the conversation. Yeah, and, then, and then you're talking about, where do we take all defensive players? Do we, do we take you know one of the receivers in that spot? And Diggs had, had I think Diggs' best season was a year ago, so it was even more of, a I think, a push between the two of them. But. So the other guy that's interesting for that this is if you say that he's healthy is Delvin Cook. 
because even I though thought of that one, you could, but I de- couldn't do it because of that. Even if you devalue the running back position, if they do it right, he's going to catch yes. like seventy passes. So, in terms of raw talent, he's right there with the other guys. Can you play them? That's the question. This has been your Monday edition of Hot Routes. Thank you, Judd. Thank you, guys. This was fantastic. This was fun. All right. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back. I'm sure we have something that I wrote down to talk about, but I don't remember what it was. I'm sure it'll be about football. We will return on Purple Day. The 2019 ESPYs auction is live now through July 10th. It's ESPN's biggest and best auction ever, packed full of more than 80 exclusive one-of-a-kind sports, travel, and celebrity experiences. Visit ebay.com slash ESPN to bid. Proceeds benefit the V Foundation for Cancer Research. Our coaching staff did an unbelievable job preparing us last year. Unfortunately, we didn't go out on offense and execute. You know, we weren't very good on third down. We didn't score as many touchdowns in the red zone as we probably should have. And, um, you know, when you don't do those two areas of football very well, it's not going to result to very many wins. That was Kyle Rudolph on Pro Football Talk Live or whatever the show is called that they do, the Pro Football Talk show on profootballtalk.com, I guess. Sure, um, that works. Yeah, that was that. Yeah. Kyle Rudolph there. Um, Matthew Collar, Eric Eager for Pro Football Focus, Judd Zolgad sticking around here in studio. Coming up at 4 o'clock, it will be Mackie and Judd with Rami and plenty of baseball to discuss then, but we carry on with football. And if you missed our announcement, a uh, very cool thing coming up July 17th through 19th, I will be broadcasting from the PFF studio. So I'm really looking forward to that. All right, so last night, Eric, uh, you and I were talking about this a little bit, um, messaging back and forth about teams in the NFL that have the hype. Because last year, around this time, Super Bowl or bust was the thing. At one point after a preseason game, Kirk Cousins got so annoyed with being asked about Super Bowl or bust that he sort of berated would be the wrong word, but maybe kind of like got agitated with a reporter and went on a big, long spiel about being asked every game or every day about Super Bowl or bust. And it might be the confirmation bias thing to say that that impacted the Vikings, the amount of hype that they had last year coming off the NFC Championship. But I also think there was a general feeling in camp of they know what's being said by everyone outside of here. They know they're being talked about as the potential Super Bowl champions for this year. They know the pressure that comes along with this. And I thought that it had an impact on them. So I look around the league now, Eric. This is not the Vikings. They have that monkey off their back. Yeah, and luckily, that might help luckily for yeah. Kirk, I mean, he played his way out of that <laughs> narrative. So. <laughs> Um, so I, I think it's the Browns this year. I, I think the Browns are the team that is dealing with an incredible amount of hype that all the focus is around them. And I think if you don't have Tom Brady, you don't have Aaron Rodgers, and you don't have Drew Brees, where the expectation every year is going to the Super Bowl, that you can sort of pop up and become that magical team. I think it has a legitimate impact on teams throughout a season that, they know every game has to be a win for them. Otherwise, they're letting down after a big offseason of hype. Well, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, quarterback play being the most important thing. And generally speaking, teams that do well despite not having the elite quarterback are doing so based upon noise, right? So you look at the Baltimore Ravens, they were four and five. Lamar Jackson comes in, gets them to the playoffs. 
but you're not expecting that thing to happen with him again. You're not expecting the, the league to be able to go after the run like that. And you, you they're going to make him make passes, and that's why you get regression. The great quarterbacks stay great, right? So their wins are generally a product of how good they are against the other. So the question for the Browns is: Is Baker Mayfield actually worth this? You know, this hype. Um, and you know, we we liked him quite a bit coming out. He had a great rookie season, but again. It's a lot harder to get from seven wins to ten wins than it is to get from zero wins to seven wins. So I think that's really mostly the point. It's just like you're not speak, uh, sneaking up on anybody. The division is a lot better than people think. So uh, very much like the Vikings a season ago, where the, you're when you, if you bet the Browns under, you're implicitly betting on the over for the Steelers or the Ravens or the Bengals. And and I think that's probably the smart thing to do. Still the Browns too, right? It's just hard. It's fun to see them improve, but like this expectation that, well, they're going to be really, really good. Inexperienced coach in kitchens as well. There's a lot of factors there, including uh, Beckham, that scare me because they could go great and it could be fun or it could blow up. What happens the first time that Odell is running wide open and Baker misses him or doesn't see him? And OBJ is not going to say, oh, that's okay, buddy boy, I'm fine with that. <laughs> he's, he's, he's going to go back and say, what the hell happened? Baker's, you know, he's experienced enough now, and I don't think his temperament is all the time that great. So is he going to blow up back at OBJ? There's just a lot of things there that that are going to be fun to watch. I would just caution they're not going to work out as well as Browns fans necessarily think, unfortunately. And Baker Mayfield already made a mistake this offseason calling out one of his teammates, and it's rule number one of being the leader, don't mess with your teammates' money. Don't mess with his family. Which Favre did. With his business. Javon Walker. With Javon Walker, who then ripped his knee up. No, no, but but he, he, he got... Pushback for exactly that. Yeah, yeah, you're right. So if Favre don't does talk, it, yeah, right. don't talk about that. Right. If guys, if guys are upset about that one thing, leave it alone. Right. So already he kind of had a faux pas there, and I remember Eric, you and I talking a lot during that draft with Baker Mayfield when we were trying to figure out, okay, who's the best quarterback here? And I actually like Josh Rosen quite a bit. We'll see if that works out yep. with Miami or potentially somewhere else if Miami decides to tank and. Maybe he never becomes anything. But the one concern I had with Mayfield was not the arm strength or the accuracy or even being a system quarterback or anything like that. Competitor, gamer, it was all, is he going to be able to handle the pressure of the NFL? Because I don't think there's anything in the world that could prepare you for being an NFL quarterback and how much weight comes down on you when anything goes wrong. And even in a way... I think Kirk Cousins found that out last year. Kirk Cousins in D.C. was, oh, wow, that fourth-round guy we picked who kind of made us sort of relevant. And there wasn't a whole lot of times where he was under pressure. It was usually the owner who gets ripped on all the time, the coaches, the defense a couple years in a row wasn't very good. And a lot of times it was... Ah, well, you know, Kirk did his best, and he's just Kirk Cousins, the fourth-round pick guy. He's not RG3 or whatever. He comes here, the underdog tag goes away with the money, and then I think he was shocked last year that every loss, the whole national media came down on him like a ton of bricks, especially with those big games. They had half their schedules on national TV, and they're getting crushed. Well, the same thing is going to happen to Cleveland if they have a few bad losses to start the season. Well, that's the thing. Like in Washington, it was always like this: this franchise is dysfunctional. Okay, blame it on that. They never believed in Kirk. They never gave him the long-term contract. There was, a, and it was sort of always this like collection of things. Whereas in Minnesota, it was like we're going to isolate the one thing we need, and that one thing we need didn't get us to where we want. So it has to be that. 
I think with Cleveland, the issue is, is okay, the whole time there was all these excuses that Kirk had before. Hugh Jackson is, you know, a terrible coach. This franchise is cursed. They still have the owner who has his own, like, demons. But, like, essentially, but, like, the idea is, like, okay, we got rid of Hugh. We lost a couple games to some good teams, but then we got in a roll. Like, they really haven't hit any bumps, and I think when we talk about teams that are that get over the hump, they're terrible for a while, then they're good. There's always that like second season where they like bounce off the ceiling a little bit, come back down. If the Browns finish eight and eight or, or nine and seven this year, that's gonna be disappointing. But really it's part of the right course of action. And the question then becomes, do the Odell's Kareem Hunt is an issue for them as well. Like do all those guys like sort of rebound and stay the course and sort of trust the process for lack of a better right. term. Right. Or does Kareem Hunt get like arrested again? When's the last right? time that, that a team like the Browns, which is coming off a really nice pop up year and certainly has talent though, where the expectations jumped this much? Ordinarily, ordinarily it's the 2018 Vikings who won 13 games yeah. and you're like Super Bowl or bust, which, which I think is fair. I don't remember a ton of teams that were like the Browns where all of a sudden it's, oh, they're a Super Bowl type team. The Niners last year were a classic example, right? So they were one in 10. Uh, Jimmy G comes in, wins the last, they're yeah. six and 10. They're over under last year was eight and a half, nine. And then, of course, we see exactly what happens. Noise happens, right? Quarterback gets his knee hurt. They're weak on in this defensive secondary. They're four and twelve or five and whatever they were. So I think it's it's a class. There, there aren't that many that happen, and it's usually because of one thing, and that one thing is always tenuous. With the Browns, I think it's new quarterback, you know, lack of dysfunction relative to the rest of time. But that could all turn for the reasons you guys have said. So here's my question with this Vikings team because last year it was a very unique type of pressure that only comes along every once in a while when you don't have. Tom Brady. And the interesting thing about the Tom Brady thing is it's it's almost it's implied that you're a Super Bowl favorite. So no one asks you about it. No one goes up to Tom Brady and is like, what's it like to be a Super Bowl favorite this year? Is it Super Bowl <laughs> or bust? Tom Brady would be like, What? We've won a bunch of them. Like, what are you talking about? Like every year I exist yep. is a year that we should win the Super Bowl. So when you are not one of those teams that has three or four guys that every year it's you should be in the championship game or this was not a great season, that then the media is much more interested in you as a story when that happens. And that's where, you know, kind of um Los Angeles is a team that actually lived up to the hype in a second year. So after the first year, yep. they were a pop-up team and a great story. They lose in the playoffs, but wow, what a good season. Next year, they're a Super Bowl favorite, and they actually lived up to it. But my question is is different, though. With the Vikings this year, I think that there's a very similar level of pressure, but it's just coming from a different place. And this is another one where you see teams collapse underneath the weight of it, and it's hot seats. Everyone has hot seats this year. And you could very well see Mike Zimmer get back to the playoffs, win a couple playoff games, and he's got a a lifetime contract this year. But if they go 7-9, and I think everybody's gone. I think ownership spent so much cash out of their pockets for Kirk Cousins and everybody else that if they miss the playoffs two years in a row, they're out. So now the conversation switches to... Do you you guys realize if you mess this up that this is all over? Like this whole run here that you, you had this window to win the Super Bowl, it's pretty much done, and we're going to clear everybody out if you don't win this year. I think that that's a very similar type of pressure to Super Bowl or bust. Yeah, and I think I think it, we talked about this earlier in the show. It's like they tried to run it back, basically, right? They got Barr back, 
They even got Shamar Stefan back. They did all these things that, like, basically are saying, like, you know, last season was just a blip. Is essentially what we, all we need is a center, backup tight end. They're even, I mean, honestly, they didn't really do anything at the third receiver role other than say Treadwell doesn't have the job, basically. So, you know, I, like you said, I think they, they are really going all in. And if they don't, next year will be the year that they blow it up. Here's the difference. And, and this is the X factor that I can't tell, but Zimmer absolutely loves it. Opening night of training camp, he can get up and say, nobody believes now. <laughs> he hates it. Look at look at Mike's coaching career here. When there are expectations, it implodes. Mm-hmm. It usually implodes, including a 5-0 and start that turned into a complete disaster. But he loves nothing more than to get up the opening night of camp before they take the field and say, gentlemen, it's us against them. And it works sometimes. The question I have is, does Cousins thrive in an environment where he convinces himself the pressure is off because he earlier failed? Or does he implode because the pressure in his mind is gaining steam? Well, and that's, I mean, and honestly, that brings me to the question of what would success be for the Vikings? You said win a couple playoff games. Honestly, like if you, if you think about the totality of what they're trying to do, like what is success? If they go to the play, if they make the playoffs this year and are one and done, is that, does that keep everybody's job? If they win a playoff it, game? I think it, I think you got to win a playoff game, don't you, Judd? Uh, I would think so. No, the Wolves are different, so I can't tell. Yeah. But um, I, I think if they if they go to the playoffs and don't win a game, I'm not sure that they're all fired. But I do think the plug is then pulled after the following year on Cousins for sure. Yeah. Uh, Depends on how. I can't, if they lose by 40, the, then... Maybe. All I can say is this. The Wolves love Spielman to the point of, I can't sit here and assure that this whole crew would be cleaned out if they go to the playoffs. If they don't go to the playoffs, I think all bets are off. Because you, you brought up the, the changing expectations for Cousins, right? So if they would have gone to the playoffs last year and lost in the first round, which is probably what they were going to do, like we would have all been disappointed in them, right? But like, so in, in a sense, what we're doing is we're taking the Kirk Cousins expectations and shifting them downward. Correct. But is that like, I mean, I don't necessarily see how that squares with the, the people like the Wilfs. I don't think the Wilfs bought into Cousins saying, a year from now we're going to have to downshift every expectation we have. So <laughs> right. it's sort of this really strange thing because I don't really know how to define success for the Vikings. That's a great point because I think ownership was sold on, this guy is better than Case Keenum. That's why you need to pay him more money to make sure he comes here because we're going to be able to achieve more if we have him instead of Case Keenum. And the people that made that decision – and this is the thing, whether I believe it or not, Mike Zimmer comes out and says, we all made this decision. Every one of us watched every play that's ever happened in football history, and we decided that this guy is our quarterback. We all it made the decision. Bradshaw. We all made the decision. Right. It's it, And it, when you say that, when you come out and say it was a coach's decision, it was a general manager's decision, it was maybe the medical team's decision for not bringing back Teddy Bridgewater, then you all own that. And if it doesn't work out, then you pay for that. Because that's that, I think if I'm the owner of this team and they convinced me of that, you're the football guys. You, you're the ones who said you watched every play. I'm not the football guy. I'm the owner. And you told me this quarterback was going to get us to where we were supposed to go and not Case Keenum or Teddy Bridgewater. Well, if we don't even go to the playoffs, then that that to me, that's like the nail in the coffin for you guys. You put it so perfectly about how why Zimmer believed in Bridgewater so much, right? Because Bridgewater was the underdog. No one believes in Bridgewater. He's small. He doesn't throw the ball. He needs gloves, all this kind of stuff. <laughs> he was like the perfect, like, stand up on the podium and say, no one believes in us too type of thing. Yeah. Whereas I think that's why he had, I mean, he, I think he kind of, I think he kind of liked Keenum, but like sort of in a, I could still have Teddy sort of way, but it's why it might not be as, as much of a marriage with cousins, because as you said, he's not the, he's not the underdog anymore. He's, 
you know, if anything, we're lowering expectations from such a high place. But that, yeah, I mean, it's a really interesting point about what is a successful season for this year. And I was going to make another point on that, but we're up against the clock. So I'm going to take a break and then we'll continue the discussion. We've got Eric Eager from Pro Football Focus doing the whole show today. Judd Zolgad in for the next few minutes. And then Mackie and Judd with Rami coming up at four o'clock here on Score North. 349 here in the Twin Cities, and this means it's time for the Score North download. This Friday officially marks four weeks until Vikings are down in New Orleans for the opening game of the preseason, and it's just two weeks. This Friday officially marks two weeks until Vikings training camp opens up, so Vikings season soon at hand, as Matthew Collar yells football into the microphone here. MNUFC takes on FC Dallas this Saturday evening at Allianz Field. Join me and Dan Terhar beginning at 6.30 p.m. with the kick. Football! Yes, football. At 7 p.m. right here on Score North, scorenorth.com, and the Score North mobile app. That's been your Score North download. Now back to more football on Purple Daily. Football. Football. Uh, Real quick, Randy Moss remains the greatest. So NFL Films tweeted out, no defender was a match for Randy Moss on the nine route. And uh, then they show a bunch of highlights of Randy Moss running by people on the the go route or the nine route. And Randy Moss chimes in himself on Twitter and says, or any route, you don't become the second all time with just go balls. Come on now, NFL films. Say yeah, he's, it, he's right. Say it in Randy's voice. Come on now, NFL films. Come on, y'all. No, he Come was, on, y'all. he's exactly right. The, the oh, best, the he best. Could part. Do anything. Oh, I know. He could absolutely yeah. anything. Somebody had a little like, right. quick slant of his where he juked so hard the defender just fell down and he was wide open. Hit him against D'Angelo Hall in like D'Angelo Hall's first game was like <laughs> came off the line of scrimmage. He's twenty. Hall gave him like a fifteen yard cushion. He throws his hand up five yards yes. into his route and just blows by him for a Dante like. 70 yard TD was pretty I, and cool. And Hall ran like a 4 3. I, it, yeah, Moss was just unreal. <laughs> he redefined how we think about that position the first day that he played. I think it was against Tampa in 98. Yeah. And not only that, was that Randy Moss, you like to talk about, Judd, how the Packers went and got a bunch of cornerbacks in the draft. But the other funny thing about that is everybody else started drafting these tall wide receivers who were trash. (laughs) So they'd be like, oh, this guy's the next Moss. He's a great athlete. And they all stunk. That was the thing about Moss is he probably could have played in the NBA. Like yeah. he's just such a oh, he could have. such a fluid athlete. Absolutely could have. Beyond just he was not a DK Metcalf. He was not a forty <laughs> yard dash. He he was so so brilliant and, and detailed in his movements. And I was talking with Mo Williams about this one time, and he's like, "I know Mo Williams, right? <laughs> Mo Williams is very n- nice player. I yeah, like Mo he's Williams a, good a player. lot. Mo uh, would be great today with the pass catching oh, and the sure. blocking. Yeah. He took that. the shovel from from Moss, right?" Yes, yes, against the Broncos. Yep, yep, that's yeah. why that's him. I, I did an yeah. article on that, and that's why I talked to Mo. Yeah, I liked him. And I said, you know, I said, well, what was you know what was he like just playing with with Moss? And because they said that he would do stuff like that in practice, you know, then that's kind of how they came up with it, and that they had semi practiced it before. And he said that Moss was just so detailed in practice that he, you know, he was like the the hardest practice player. He a was lot a, of times, and nobody knew that he was a brilliant football player. He would he would sit at his locker during access periods, refuse to talk to us, and have highlighters of different colors pulled out and be going through plays. He was a brilliant player. Favre and Moss would sit in the front of the offensive room when he returned in 2010, and he was not that good by this point, and make fun of Childress's ideas for plays. 
wasn't that like <laughs> I'm not like, kidding. No, I believe you. Wasn't I mean one of the reasons they cut him was like he undermined his, their ability to coach Harvin, right? Because like he like Har- Percy loved him. Percy Percy like fell in love with Moss. Percy helped him move. Yeah, yeah. He got cut. Percy helped him box his well, stuff and, up. And Percy had a slow start to that season. And the moment Moss came, that Jets game, it wasn't Moss that did anything. It was Harvin on crossers, and like he yes. like turned he turned his season on right when Moss started there. And I think like one of the issues was. He was sort of undermining Childress's ability to coach the, one of the best players on the team. That's very accurate, and and like that's you know Ma, the interesting thing about Moss was this his football instincts were just so amazing. Yeah, right? that's like, a great way to. So point you it. look at like Terrell Owens. Terrell Owens is big, fast, strong. Had like, but for a an elite a Hall of Fame wide receiver, he had terrible hands. Right, like the balls he'd have to body catch everything. He didn't really go up and get the ball. Moss, like his route running was terrific, but also when the ball was in the air, no one was better at finding the best way to catch the ball away from defenders. And I think, you know, when you talk about those two, they have like similar statistics and everything. But I think Moss, in terms of just football instincts, like paces them. I think the the only way I can describe it is like when you see NBA players who not only have the ability to jump that high, because a lot of people can jump, but also have f- like fluid, specific, detailed movements mm-hmm. that seem to come very natural, yep. th- that probably aren't just natural, they're probably a lot of hard work too, but they just have this fluidity about their game that is completely different, like the Michael Jordan level, that's Randy Moss. Uh, real quick before we go, how many wins and playoff wins is a successful season for the Vikings? More than ten and more than one. Uh, twelve wins, and you got to win two playoff 12? games. Twelve wins. I like it. Wow. Yeah. Oh, it's got to be high. It's got to be. A Put great the pressure season. on. Okay. Typical Zolgad right there. All right, uh, Mackie and Judd with Rami coming up next. Some baseball talk when uh, we come back on Score North. Thanks for listening to Purple Daily. At the Home Depot, we have the tools for you to give the gift of a smarter home with savings on top brands like the Google Hub a command center for your smart devices that raises the IQ of your entire home. Or the Nest Learning Thermostat that helps you conserve energy and save on your bill. And if you don't know what to get, gift cards are a smart gift no matter what they get. So this year, gift smarter with savings on tools to make your holiday magic. The Home Depot, how doers get more done. This holiday season, Peloton's got a gift for you. Right now, get up to $200 off accessories with the purchase of a Peloton Shred. Accessories like non-slip grip resistance bands, a heart rate monitor, yoga blocks, and more. Take your workout to the next level with Peloton, motivation that moves you. Hurry, this limited time offer ends December 25th. Visit OnePeloton.com to learn more. All access memberships separate. Offer ends December 25th. Cannot be combined with other offers. See additional terms at OnePeloton.com.